it's okay for us to be wrong and change our minds. Like that's, we gotta be okay with that. People do it. Now we, we don't want to do it a lot, but there's no way we're making everything perfect. So we gotta be comfortable changing our minds and, 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 and reversing a decision that we made maybe two years ago that we thought was the right decision. It's time to open your mind and expand your empire. You're listening to The Ted Huff Show. Join in for stories that embrace imperfections and become the inspiration you need to achieve true greatness in your life through actionable progress in the pursuit of self-discovery, self-improvement, and self-purpose. Where will your story take you? Now let's get it started with the man himself, your host, Ted Huff. This is episode 21 of the Ted Huff Show. We have the CEO of BlueSnap, Ralph Dangelmeyer, who has grown both public and private technology companies with a focus on marketing, sales, and product development. In this episode, we learn about how Ralph developed his leadership strategy that named him a top 50 SaaS CEO by the SaaS Report and earned him a place on Ernst & Young's Entrepreneur of the Year program. Hey, Ralph, thanks for joining us today. Uh, I really appreciate it. You and I have touched base on a number of different occasions, and we're from the same industry, so it's kind of fun to be able to talk to somebody that uh, speaks the same lingo as I do. But before we start to dive into your business and and how all that came to be, let's kind of give everybody an understanding of, of who Ralph is and where he came from, and we'll start from there. Sure. Thanks for having me on. And it's Ralph Danglemeyer. I'm currently the CEO of Blue Snap, and I'm from the Boston area. I grew up here. I've worked here my whole life. I've gone to school here. Um, however, I've traveled a lot over the last 30 years, and I've been in payments at uh, six different companies. And I guess I sort of grew up with fintech, not really planning it that way. I kind of fell into it when I came out of school uh, the late 80s and went into Bank of Boston, which is now part of Bank of America, and worked in a bank operations role that was uh, newly formed called the Operations Management Development Program. So it was a one-year program on how to be a manager of payments, which is amazing because I don't think they do that now, and I think we desperately need that out in the market. So, uh, so that's what I did and uh, met a really cool startup fintech company called Bankware, uh, joined that company after the bank, and uh, we grew that really nicely, about 10x, and that became part of SunGuard. I was there for a little bit, and then I ended up um, going to work for another small company um, called PH Solutions, which was super innovative. We ended up building the first online cash management system for banks in North America. So a lot of fun. We had about 80% of the market. And uh, after about six or seven years, we merged into ACI Worldwide, which was another great growing company in the middle of a transformation. They had done uh, made a really great reputation for themselves in the authorization of ATM and debit machines with fraud and other tools bolted in. And now they're moving into the wholesale space, doing things like wire transfers and ACH payments and cash management around the world. So they bought a lot of companies. I became the president there. It was a great run with that company. And in uh, the next move, I decided that e-commerce and mobile payments was going to be the next big thing. And uh, I found BlueSnap in 2000 and end of 12, early 13, and joined BlueSnap now about six years ago. And uh, I think it's been a 
excellent opportunity, especially with the transformation going on here in cross-border and e-commerce and mobile payments, uh, seem to be at the right spot at the right time. So not really planned out, but just was fortunate enough to have a couple great opportunities kind of run across my desk. And I guess I took a, a little risk and, and did some of these uh, changes. It's amazing. It's amazing how when you look at it uh, at the time, you're like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And you go ahead and do it. And, and then you look back, and you're like, wow, that was if that didn't work out the way that it did, that probably would have been a pretty bad decision. So that's run across my mind a couple of times. <laughs> totally right there. So you'd mentioned growing up um, in the Northeast, in the Boston area, had in in your family growing up, was it um, an entrepreneurial, business-minded family, or was it something else? I'm just trying to understand where where that that drive to to get into the the banking sector came from. Yeah, um, I don't know if it was a drive to get into banking or it was sort of a drive to learn. Um, I think I was pretty curious about finances and payments. I graduated with a. Uh, agree in economics and I was always fascinated by sort of the money and 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 sort of making money and I had a lot of uh, small paper routes and little jobs on the side lawn mowing businesses and so maybe that's where it came from but you know I'm sure my parents were entrepreneurial I'm not sure if they demonstrated it that much I mean my mom was a was a teacher and uh, my father worked uh yeah, GE selling jet engines around the world. Um, so, but somehow it sort of, uh, I guess the right DNA came together and it sort of got into me. So off I went. So you mentioned having paper routes and other different entrepreneurial ventures as a child. What, what do you, do you remember what the first thing you did that, that kind of got the bug in you that like, Hey, I can actually make money and, and, buy things that I, I want. Well, do you remember what that first thing was? Well, I just remember, um, you know, trying to work three drop jobs at the same time. I was like uh, working in a restaurant, I was running a paper route. Um, and I was at the same time trying to, uh, figure out what I was going to do, like caddying and, and working other thing, other, other jobs. And I just thought it was very cool that I could sort of figure out how to, work with people, all of it was people orientated. And really a lot of my pay, because it was tip based, caddying, um, paper routes, and uh, working in a restaurant was tip based. And I figured the better I interacted with people, the more money I made. And that sort of gave me a tip that that was probably better than uh, getting a, you know, an A in accounting for me. So that was sort of the, the path I, I really woke up and said, that's that's something we got to keep in mind as we go into the future. Looking at the the multiple jobs as a as a young man, to being the CEO of Blue Snap, there's got to be a number of different things that have happened throughout your life where maybe you thought things can't get any worse. Oh yeah, it definitely happens. Um, you know, you, you challenges always come at you. And, um, I think a lot of things, you know, you have a business plan. Um, one thing you can guarantee is things don't always go to plan and you've got to make these, uh, you got to do it. It's a real, it's a real tough combination of sort of staying the course, 
but also doing small pivots, or I used to call tacking, right? So if you're coming across the Atlantic in a boat, sailboat, and all of a sudden the winds pick up, you had to figure out how to tack to stay on course. So, but at the time you're tacking, I think those things feel like these huge challenges. And so one of my sort of advices to people is you really got to stay in the course and really over communicators you're making that tack. That's just a small pivot to the right, and we're going to get it back on course very quickly. I think that's always a challenge. I think the second challenge is you know, you always need capital, you always need funding, um, and you can almost spend too much time or not enough time on that. But the last thing you want to do is run out of money when you're in the middle of a hot idea. So I think um, getting the right funding is really, really important. And then, you know, I mean, it's an old book, but I really like the, the good to great where you can try to get right the right people on the bus. They're going to work as a team. I mean, obviously, uh, we are from New England and a lot of us are Patriots fans and some people don't <laughs> like the Patriots. And I understand that, but I still find it hard not to respect the way they operate because, you know, he gets the right people on the team. And no matter what happens, they seem like they're always competitive by getting people to do the right thing. Now, I've been fortunate. A lot of my team is, has been around for a long time. But getting everybody really working together um, is is a big part of what I believe in. So so I think it's around communication. It's around making sure you're like capital. And it's around getting the teamwork and then and then charging ahead from there. So that's what I think has been successful. So I'm, I'm going to bring you back just a little bit. Um, cause I'm, I'm hoping that we can find like a specific item, a specific time to really think about where you, cause we'd mentioned earlier that you, you'd found that there were a couple of times where you're like, okay, uh, enough's enough. Mm-hmm. It, is, is there one where you were like, I, I don't know if I want to continue on. Um, yeah. Whether it be business or personal, whatever it might be that. And then what did you do to to snap yourself out of that that mindset? Sure. Well, I think something just jumps in my mind. Luckily, not really personal. I can I can tell you I've been probably lucky in that sense where I think I'm a pretty positive person. I feel like I can always sort of find my way out. But I do remember a, a big event in the uh, 1996, if you can imagine when I go back almost 25 years. But um, we were a building, as you know, in this payments business, something called cash management, where basically businesses would be able to, f- to figure out how to move money around um, globally and domestically. And we were selling this product that was Windows based that you would install onto a machine. And sales were going down, and and I just got into the company, and it was it looked like nobody wanted to buy these big, complicated, you know, send out twenty five discs and install them on your computer, especially with Y two K looming. And I happened to go to a couple of banks, and the banks turned to us and said, "Geez, why would we ever buy this? We think we should just access it online over this thing called the browser." And I'm like, "Well, what's a browser?" And um, got really ingrained into this idea. I think this thing's a fabulous idea. And at the time, um, the CEO of the company and some of the uh, folks that we were working with didn't want to do this idea. And I just figured I hit a breaking point where I said, the the what we're selling is definitely not going to work. And this looks like the future if we can get it right. And uh, quite frankly, I resigned from the company. And, um, I left, uh, I, I resigned and I gave my two or three weeks notice. And before I left uh, a board of directors and people came back and said, you know, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, you got to stay and help see this idea through. We think it's a great idea. And it turned out being transformational. I mean, obviously it, 
became the way we all interact and do business. I mean, I don't think anyone can imagine that they're doing workstations locally to move money. Everybody's doing it online. Back then we called it Windows Online, and back then we called it a, an online data center. Now it's cloud and browsers. But, but I remember that being a really critical point where I just said I had enough and I just I can't keep putting my energy behind something that I believe is absolutely long-term going to fail. So that was, a, that was an interesting turn for me. So you have a quote um, that that I I find interesting because I've heard it and I've heard it mean a number of different things. So when you say "Don't be a donkey," <laughs> what what does that mean to you? And what do uh, what should others take away from from when you uh, when you make that comment? Well, that's an internal quote. So I'm not sure how you got that, but uh, it's sort of a, a little bit of a phrase that I use, and I don't know where I got it from. It just kind of popped into my head one day, and it, it's kind of like, you know, let's use some common sense. I, I really try to get everybody to use their common sense. If, if we have a policy or we have a procedure, and maybe it was written a year or two ago, maybe it's it's meant for 90% of the time. You know, just step out of it and say, this doesn't make sense to me. And I need I think we should do something different. And we have an open door policy with the management and everybody can use an email. And so that's my point is just use your common sense and let's try to do what we think is the right thing for the customer, for the company. And um, and that's the expression. You know, I say, let's not be donkeys. Let's get it right. And people, I think, are scared now. They don't want to be called the donkey. <laughs> do I do mean it in jest and fun, but uh, but but that is where that is the quote that I think my uh, my team is probably referring to. So, is there does anybody get like a golden donkey on their desk when they do something <laughs> that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense? <laughs> no, we don't. We talked about having a donkey of the month award, but we figured that wasn't really great for morale. <laughs> no, understood. What is something that nobody or very few people know about Ralph? Um, you know, I think, I think what some people don't really know is, uh, uh, maybe deep down sometimes I'm, I'm much shy, shyer than people want to know. I think I was a, a more shy, quiet kid in high school growing into college. And so I really sometimes got to put the energy in to get up and, and get up in front of people and start articulating, talking and getting going. I'm sure people would be shocked to hear me say that. Um, I think the second thing is, is uh, because I, I think I'm moving kind of quickly through things, um, people will start telling me something and uh, I get what they're saying. I really understand. I'm really listening. But because I move so fast, people may think that a perception is that I'm not listening and I didn't I didn't get what they say. Um, but I really did. Or if I'm listening to it, I tucked it away and I said, you know, that's not on the top 10 list right now, but that will be, you know, next quarter. And so um, so I really do try to try to try to listen to what's going on, because I think that's where you need to make those little tacking rudders is the ideas don't really come. Most of them don't come from the top. They come from people doing the work or the middle of the company or the customer. And so for us to do what we've done at all the companies, it's really been listening to the customer and listening to the, the employees and watching the market and marrying that with what we're seeing when we go out and talk to people. So I think those are two things that maybe people don't know about me. 
So with moving as fast as, as you mentioned, you know, I, I, I see that very common at, at the sea levels where the experience allows you to move a lot faster than, than some of the people on the teams uh, supporting the overall organization. When you start to feel like you've lost the focus or, you know, you're you're feeling overwhelmed because there are just so many things going on so fast. What types of things do you do personally and or professionally to, um, to write the ship? I'll, I'll, I'll keep using, I'll use your sailing terms, but how do you write the ship when, when it starts yeah. to list too far to one side? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, my go-to thing is to just sit down and have a glass of wine. <laughs> um, so, uh, so, so, but, but generally speaking for me, it's, it's really talking it out. And so just really trying to really make sure I understand what's potentially going wrong and really talking it out, talking to many people and it's a coffee or a glass of wine or a dinner or a lunch or a breakfast and really trying to make sure I can triangulate on the data problem because most people only see a piece of the problem. And one of the things at the sea level is we may only get 20% of the information, maybe 40% of the information. we got to make a decision quickly. And sometimes when you do that, you made the wrong decision. And then what I always find is you really got to go back to data and say, maybe I didn't have the right data. And one of the things I just even said at our company meeting is it's okay for us to be wrong and change our minds. Like that's, we got to be okay with that. People do it. Now we, we don't want to do it a lot. But there's no way we're making everything perfect. So we got to be comfortable changing our minds and, 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 and reversing a decision that we made maybe two years ago that we thought was the right decision. So I think really just sitting and talking it out. And that's, like I said, for me, a glass of wine, maybe a game of golf or something like that where the phone's on around me for a bit and I can just try to sit and think. Uh, or it's a long plane ride to a place like Israel where you're on the plane for 11 hours and get a minute to think. So um, – well, that hours gives you a few minutes to think about stuff. It really does, especially since you can't use your phone other, unless there's Wi-Fi. So it's nice. So you mentioned a couple of different things. And one that I would love to get your feedback on is how do you mentor or drive your team to feel more comfortable with ambiguity because at that sea level you are, there's a lot of ambiguity because like you mentioned, only 20% of you're only getting about 20% of the information. So how do you, how do you help maybe your junior executives or, or other folks on the team kind of understand how to feel confident, confident and comfortable with that ambiguity? Well, I think we have a really open environment and a very cohesive team. And I think people feel very, very comfortable going into someone else's office and say, I didn't understand you. I'm not sure I get this. Or can you explain this to me? I mean, I hear that just daily all times. And I think that's great. And we try really hard when we see someone asking a question that makes sense like that to say, that was a good question. Keep asking. Let's go. We have meetings called change control meetings where we say, look, we made this decision with X amount of information. Let's make sure as we go collect more information as you get on this path that it is still the right decision. So the, the best thing you can do is just keep communicate, 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 because it's the only way you're going to really make sure everybody's on board and that ambiguity starts to become a sharp focus. And the folks that, you know, like any team is made up of different behaviorals. And we have a behavioral person that's, on, that's as a consultant on our team. And so what happens is, is a lot of the folks, some folks can get comfortable with ambiguity, some can't. 
some of the some, the people that can't will learn it along the way. And if they don't feel comfortable, I think they really raise their hands and say, you know, we just don't get this or we're not comfortable with this. And we have open dialogues about that. So that's the best way to deal with it, I think. For yourself, um, I, I've noticed that in executives and in and, and, and high performing individuals that they're always looking to become better, better at, at time management, better at something. Is there a, a belief, a behavior or habit that you have changed, say, in the last two to three years that you feel has allowed you to take things to a, to a next level in, in a certain area of your life? Well, um, I don't know in the last two or three years, but I think it kind of goes back to this communication piece, just really working on communication. I think you assume everybody's on the same page. You assume people are know, are knowing what's going on. Um, I got to be honest, when after you start reading so many emails, you know, hundreds a day to come through, and I like to read all my emails. I don't have anyone that sources them. That's one thing I do. Um, I, I decided that it would be helpful to maybe add some um, consultants to the staff that can help on communicating with the people um, when I'm on a marketing point of view or even on writing. So, um, so I started doing a little bit more of that uh, just to get people to understand some of the beliefs that we have, some of the culture things that we're trying to believe in to make people, people feel more comfortable communicating, using common sense you know, work in the details, the things that I really believe that are making us successful. So that's something I've spent a lot more time and effort on. And I believe that will, that will, that will pay off. So you would say that, um, the major thing that you've changed is really just tried to fine tune your communication skills and really just trying to make it more clear or more frequent. That's right. Right. And try to almost have, I mean, there's another small saying, I think, which is you know, you'd rather have s- small confrontations than a big one. And sometimes it's, it's okay to have small confrontations on something, and, but you, you don't want that big one to happen. But you got to work at that because it's so easy to get, you know, go to bed Sunday night, wake up Monday morning, go, oh, I do not want to give this person feedback. I don't want to do the performance review. I don't want to tell this customer you can deliver something. And it's just easy to, to procrastinate those things you don't want to do. Nobody likes to do that stuff. And so, but if you can just do it on a regular basis, every week, every two weeks, and really communicate those things, then I think, um, I think it just makes things so much easier. And you just don't have... I mean, we made a big change this year in our company. We're going to remove the annual performance reviews because we just said, if you're doing a good job as a manager, that should just not be you. I mean, yes, you're going to do you can do raises and you can do performance bonuses and all those sorts of things. But you should be communicating, you know, every week, every month, every quarter with your employees. And if you're not, you shouldn't be a one time once in a year thing. And so um I, I really that's a that's a big change for us, and um, I think that's going to see dramatic impacts on on how we deal with our growth. Yeah, that'll really also help with understanding um, individual morale, understanding behaviors, and as well as driving those quote unquote underperforming. And for those who can't see that are just listening, I use air quotes underperforming. Um, because it, it's been stated in a number of different studies that underperforming individuals are just um, individuals that are not engaged in what's going on in the business. And I think by doing something like that, Ralph, that'll really help increase the engagement from those individuals. 
that's what that's what our belief is you're right what three things do you believe that people could walk away with immediately after watching or listening to the show that will help them move themselves to the next level in in life in business and just in overall happiness it's really important to have sort of a curiosity and sort of understand what others get or what others are doing. Um, I find a lot of times we don't ask any questions. We walk into a meeting, we start saying, this is what I want to do. And you don't read the room. You don't look at, look at, look at what others are doing. I, I think that generally speaking, no matter what you are, people do want to share what they're doing, especially if they're doing something that they're passionate about. So I, 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 I think it's wrong to walk in a room and say, hey, let me tell you why I'm here versus saying, you know, I came here because I want to learn a little bit of what you're doing and maybe there's a way to partner and let the other person talk. So I do think um, that's a really, really important piece of, 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 of learning. I think the second piece of it is um, really trying to create what I would call that ROI. Like, like, like people can talk about partnerships. They can talk about working together. They can talk about getting their next – but what's in it for for me and you? Is it is it what's in it for me from a personal point of view? Um, what's in it for me from a financial point of view? It's not always about money. As a matter of fact, I think there's a great statistics that show, you know, people work at companies. Yes, they want to get paid, but the reason they leave is usually not about the money, right? It's more about the value organization, the commitment, the people they're working with. And so um, I find that, you know, when you ask some qu simple questions about, you know, why are we in this partnership together and you look around, you can't understand. I think that's that's a that's a thing that that most people might miss or not be able to articulate clearly. Um, I also go back to just practical thinking, you know, because when you understand what's going on, you're seeing the ROIs, you know, is it makes sense to, to do what we're doing? Is it, are we both in it again, we both have the same enemy or the same friends or whatever it may be. I think it allows you to, to work together. And then I think, um, the other thing I look for is sometimes people just are, they just give up too easy. You know, being successful and growing things, I mean, it's hard. I mean, you got to have perseverance. Um, you know, I'm going through this right now with my, sometimes my kids trying to find jobs. So like, well, they didn't respond to me. Well, you know, call them again. I mean, what, you know, that's just one no. You're, you know, you're going to get comfortable getting seven no's, right? Just the perseverance really, really makes sense. And it's, I, I use a lot of sports analogies, which I'm not sure all the uh, women in my company like, but uh, I don't know how to do one from a shopping point of view or some other thing, but 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 the perseverance really works in all sports and and I think in business as well as you just got to keep going if you really believe it's the right thing to do you got to you got to stay behind it and you got to believe in it so I mean those are a couple things that, that I see when I'm I, I was fortunate enough to be in this entrepreneur of the year with the NY last year and I'm going through it again and I met a lot of entrepreneurs and I think they have those very common traits that I just went through a lot of them um, so so let me re let me recap just real quick here. So the, yeah. the I got four. See, see, you gave us a you gave us three plus a bonus. So okay. <laughs> that, that's awesome. Um, so the first one that I got out of that is is be curious. Don't just take yeah. things the way they are. Don't just come to deliver, but be curious to what's going on in your surroundings. That's the first one that I got. The second one, and help me if I get this a little sideways, but. What is the value of the relationship? 
whether it be you know, a return on investment, whether it's emotional, whether it's financial, whether it is uh, knowledge, whatever it is, you know, it's it's about not only what is it what it what is in it for me, but what is in it for this relationship or partnership. Right. Um, the next one is is once you've established, you know, the curiosity and understood what's going on and then you've have that relationship and the value of it is identifying the common goal. Yes. Um, what what is that common goal that you and others can can drive towards? And then last but not least um, is, and this is the bonus one, folks, is be tenacious. Just be tenacious. Keep going after it. Keep going after it um, because that's what's going to get you to the end goal that you're looking for. Yes, that's right. Well said. Awesome. So before we go, I want to make sure that everybody has the best way to get a hold of Ralph to to see what what Ralph and and the Blue Snap team are doing or what Ralph is doing personally. Um, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Well, um, if they don't know me, uh, Ralph at bluesnap.com is a great way to, to email out to me. Um, I do get a lot of touches on LinkedIn as well. Um, quite a few people. Um, I think that's how we originally got in touch with each other. Uh, I was following you and I was watching your posts and maybe you're watching mine. And I said, geez, it's got a lot of cool things to say, especially around fintech. And, um, and so reaching out there, I, I read all of them and I, I um, usually respond. So those are the two best ways. Well, Ralph, I appreciate you taking the time to sit down with us today and to give us a little bit of a peek into who Ralph is, a little bit outside of business and the mindset that you have to uh, to move everything forward within your business and really appreciate it. Thanks, Ted. Great uh, speaking to you, Jay. That's it for this episode of the Ted Huff Show. But we know you're wondering where you go from here. TedHuff.com makes it easy for you to get notifications for new episodes, specialized contests, exclusive giveaways, and upcoming events simply by signing up for our mailing list. You'll get access to all this and more by visiting TedHuff.com. That's T-E-D-D-H-U-F-F.com. Until next time, open your mind and expand your empire right here on the Ted Huff Show.